Stab left, ran it right, down the sideline, to the 40, to the 50, to the last left of the 45, beats the punter to the 35-30, Marcus Jones down the middle to the 10, into the end zone! Seven oh one on a Monday. Happy Monday, everybody. Halford and Bruff, Sportsnet 650. Halford and Bruff of the morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. We are into hour two of the program. Mike Tannier, our NFL insider from Football Outsiders, is going to join us in a second here to kick off hour two. Uh, hour two is brought to you by North Star Metal Recycling. Vancouver's premier metal recycler pays the highest prices on scrap metal, North Star Metal Recycling. They recycle, you get paid. Visit them at 1170 Powell Street in Vancouver. To the phone lines we go. It was a very busy weekend. It was a very busy Sunday in the National Football League. Mike Tannier from uh, Football Outsiders joins us now here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Good morning, Michael. How are you? I'm doing great. Still recovering from another Chargers Chiefs uh, masterpiece late night game on Sunday. That was terrific. Uh, what a final what was, it? I guess, two minutes. And then the, the winning score, Kelsey from Mahomes. We heard that one before with 31 seconds left. Uh, let's start there because it felt like I had seen this from the Chargers before. They came agonizingly close, only to find a way to lose at the end. And then at the same time, uh, it almost feels at this point that uh, Mahomes to Kelsey is inevitable. Mahomes to Kelsey is inevitable. I was breaking down some statistics. He's got like seven touchdowns against AFC West opponents. And remember, those are the teams that know they're facing him twice a year. So you, you, you get Derwin James and you, you, you pay guys like that to come in and be your Kelsey stoppers and it's not working. And that's part of the problem for the Chargers. The other part of the problem for the Chargers is if you get a performance like that from your quarterback, Justin Herbert, and you do not come away with a victory – Everyone, everyone has to look at themselves. Now they got they got Keenan Allen back. He played well. Mike Williams came back from injury. He he, he contributed a little bit. I know they got uh, rookies on the offensive line. They've got issues elsewhere. The Chargers have to convert some of these big Justin Herbert games into victories because right now they're, they're they're wasting another season. They didn't make the playoffs last year because Herbert you know threw a million touchdown passes in the season finale and the Raiders still beat them. They can't keep letting this happen and they've got to really start addressing it soon. Uh, maybe one of the biggest takeaways from the night is what it means for the Chiefs. They win the race to first wins to first to yes. eight wins in the AFC, and now you know they've got that advantage where if they can keep this going and they can clinch top seed in the conference, the road to the Super Bowl has got to go through Arrowhead, which is a big deal considering you know there's Buffalo who'd obviously love to have a home game and all the home field advantages in Buffalo, Miami, Baltimore, Tennessee, but there it is, Kansas City with the eight wins now. Oh, and look at their schedule. Chiefs schedule coming down the road. Rams, um, Broncos, Texans, Broncos again, Raiders. These are very beatable teams. They're, you know, the Bengals are in there. The Seahawks are, are in there as well. But, like, you cannot come up with, like, anything but 13 and 4. It's almost impossible to come up with uh, more than four losses overall for the Chiefs. Bills are already at three. You know, they've got some tough foes down the stretch. It looks like the Chiefs are going to be able to do what they set out to do in the regular season. How screwed are the Denver Broncos? Oh, it's hard to even explain. It's hard, it's hard to even figure out like how bad this is. Like the Rams are like the most screwed team in the NFL right now. Like, but they the won Rams, the Super Bowl. Well, whatever. Yeah, they, they won the Super Bowl, and now it's closing time. It's it's the day after Mardi Gras. It's time to sweep the sewers out. You know, the the, the Broncos did all of this to try and reach the playoffs. And one of the problems I looked at, you know, yesterday, it's like they moved the ball a little better. They changed play callers. 
that seems like it helped a little bit. Russell Wilson doesn't fit anything they're doing right now, and they're just running out of guys. You know, Jerry Judy wasn't available. K.J. Hamler wasn't available. Uh, you know, the other wide receiver's been out for weeks. Javante Williams has been out for weeks. They have injuries along the offensive line. In addition to being poorly coached and not really Russell Wilson being on planet Ross, like, there, there's just not enough guys right now, and, and it's going to probably get worse before it gets better. We're speaking to Mike Tannier, our NFL insider from Football Outsiders here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. So uh, I know it led off the walkthrough. You're talking about the two big boys in not just the NFC East, but the uh, NFC period. It's the Eagles and the Cowboys. Both kind of made statements on Sunday, although in very different fashions. I think the Eagles, as you kind of put it, like avoided catastrophe and a real issue. Having already lost their first game, they squeak out a win. And then the Cowboys absolutely putting it on the Vikings. By the way, I just want to put this out there so that I own up to all of my awful picks. I had the Vikings as my lock of the week on the mm-hmm. weekend. I don't think I've ever had a lock that lost that badly at home. Before. And you've had some bad locks. Right. Like I've right? I've done this poorly at this list. before, but maybe never this poorly. You know what? Let's start there. Was that a bigger statement about the Cowboys or the Vikings? It was about equal. I think the Cowboys wanted to go out there after that loss to the Packers and say, "Yeah, we're not this meme. It's not the, it's not the same old Cowboys. We swear we're not. We're better on defense. We've got this outstanding pass rush." I think we're better on special teams. We're, we're just, we're, it's just not the same team, and, and we're going to put this pretender in their place, and that's what they set out to do. Let's put this pretender, the Vikings, in the place. And the Vikings went out there and said, look at us. We're pretenders. We don't belong here. We, we don't know how we beat the Bills either. You know, We're this team that like hangs close and, and barely gets past the commanders. That's what we do. Uh, so it really was indicative of both sides what's going on. The Cowboys and the Eagles, that, that's who it is in the NFC. That's who's going to prevail in the NFC. And the Vikings, I'm, uh, you know, all this winning streak, uh, the DVOA at Football Outsiders, the analytics said they were a bad team. Uh, like, I tried to justify them, tried to explain what they're doing. Done with them. They showed us who they were. They're going to show us who they are again when they face the Patriots in prime time on Thanksgiving night. Uh, and then you wrote it, the Eagles avoid Armageddon. How bad would it have been if they <laughs> lost that game yesterday? Uh, watching it in the greater Philly bar, I'll tell you what, people people had their hearts in their throats and people were at each other's throats. Like, like I, I, at an Eagles bar, and Eagles fans were about to fight each other over whether the Eagles were losing for this reason or for that reason. Like, that, that was the fight that was breaking out. And, of course, the Eagles, you know, they come back to get it. They force a couple of field goals with stops get the late touchdown, their defense comes together, stops allowing runs up the middle, and now the Eagles are sort of, they can take a deep breath and say, look, this team really is the best top-to-bottom roster in the NFC. Adding Domikong Sue, adding Linville Joseph, did solve the problem with the run defense, and everybody can relax a little bit in greater Philly and say, yeah, but wake us up again when it's time for the Eagles-Cowboys game. So Mike, Zach Wilson and the New York Jets. <laughs> Zach Wilson, listen, he's only 23 years old, but he was a pretty high pick, and he hasn't played well. And now um, he's making some comments that probably aren't going to go over well with his teammates. He was asked if uh, the offense let the defense down yesterday, and he said no. And most people would be like, uh, I think it did because you guys lost 10-3. to The defense did play well, and it was a special teams touchdown that won the game for the Patriots. So the defense is incredible. The offense is just terrible. What did the Jets do at the quarterback position going forward? They need to bench this kid now. They should have benched this kid a couple of weeks ago. 
uh, last time they faced the Patriots, and he kind of made a fool out of himself. When you watch the Jets' offense, the passing game is super scripted. It's all this stuff that, you know, you know where the ball's going to go, and they're trying to confuse the defense with motion. He can't really do anything back there that requires making a smart decision. And you saw that yesterday. He just took sack after sack. He was throwing the ball right into, like, Devin McCourty's belly, and it was bounced. The, the surprised safety, you know, bounces off your belly. Like, what, what's this ball doing here? And that's why he doesn't get the interception. Happens regularly yesterday. And, yeah, that accountability stuff at the end there, he, this young man is showing us who he is. They've got Joe Flacco on the bench. Joe Flacco is not exactly, you know, great shakes. Nobody has great shakes on their bench. But the Jets can make the playoffs. Their defense really is that good. In general, their special teams is that good. They've got receivers. They've, they've got playmakers. They need professionalism at quarterback, and they can reach the playoffs. They owe it to themselves. Put this young man on the bench, and then quietly figure out their exit strategy for 2023 and beyond. This is not gonna. This is not gonna work. Yeah, I mean, it's hard not to notice the comments that. I mean, Robert Sala had one where he, he used an expletive to describe the offense. And then yeah. the, the the receivers were also having a go. So it's clearly reached the point where nobody, at least publicly, really believes that Wilson can get the job done. It's just mm-hmm. such a large amount of draft capital that they sunk into him and the hope and optimism. And again, there's this lineage of guys dating all you know, from Sanchez to Darnold where they've invested in guys that they thought were going to be the guy only to find out that they're not. But this is different because he could actually sink a team that's got a lot of talent on it and, as you mentioned, could probably be a playoff team if it was giving if it was getting even average quarterback play yeah look at sanchez sanchez took that team to the playoffs yeah. several times sanchez was beating tom brady and peyton manning thanks to Dal revis in the defense of course in the playoffs because he 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 has a, was a high effort guy who would mix like the big plays with the mistakes and 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 the the players didn't like him the players rallied around him Darnold was a mess but the whole franchise organization was a mess this is unique, but it's also a unique opportunity because you're seeing it now. They're seeing it now. The worst thing they can do is the sunk cost fallacy going into next year and saying, well, we can't, we can't invest in quarterback again. We can't, we can't do that. We have to give this guy due diligence. No, <laughs> do, not, do not do that. And I'll tell you something. I, I, I got a little news from the Grey Cup. You know, Chad Kelly came off the bench up he there. Sure and, and, and yeah, he, he, Zach Wilson's got a little Chad Kelly in him. You know, he's got the arm. He's got some of the – some of the talent, but the, may not always have it together as a, as a, as an individual, uh, and uh, you know maybe a change of scenery, and then he, you know he could be your problem in a couple of years. It might do him some good. <laughs> We're speaking to Mike Tannier, our NFL insider from Football Outsiders, here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Uh, there's no shortage of disappointing coaching efforts this season, but I'm struggling to find a guy that's had a worse season than Nathaniel Hackett. The Broncos are now three and seven. It's almost to the point where we've stopped laughing at Russell Wilson's misfortune and yes. endeavor. Although Jason, I don't know if you have yet. Have you, have you stopped laughing at Russ and his misfortune and I'm kind of tired of it. Yeah. Like, I just, I'm, it's, I'm like, yeah, whatever. Yeah, it's, 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 I'm, I'm over our, it. it's exceeded our wildest dreams. This is bad, but uh, Hackett continues to make the, the headline that you have here. Nathaniel Hackett is Jason Garrett with less personality. That's pretty <laughs> terrific. Uh, does he survive the year in Denver? Do they need to make a change? I mean, they're three and seven. The season's already lost, but I do wonder how this ends up for Hackett. There's only one reason he might survive the year, and that's there's no obvious replacement in the coordinator pool. It's very young coordinators. The new play caller is Clint Kubiak. Clint Kubiak obviously has a long family history with that organization, but he might be a little young to be a choice as a head coach. He'd have to leapfrog over the offensive coordinator. There might be some politics involved with letting this guy last year. That said, 
the Colts put Jeff Saturday out there, so you know maybe Elway just comes down and coaches the team for a couple of weeks. I don't know, but you know it, it's sad because Hackett has rendered himself irrelevant at this point. Early in the season, it's like, oh, I can't handle the clock. Let me hire a clock coach. Now it's like, I can't ha- handle the play calling. Let's let's promote a play calling assistant coach. At some point, management realizes you're not you're not bringing anything to the table. You're not contributing anything. And when that happens, it's just a ticking clock for a head coach. Uh, before we let you go, Mike, we've got Monday Night Football tonight. Uh, NFC West battle between the Cardinals and the Niners. This division, you know, I think it's taken a lot of people by surprise. Obviously, because of how good the Seahawks have been, the Rams yeah. are just in a tailspin, and I don't know what the future has in store for that organization. But it ain't pretty. The Niners probably need this one more than the Cardinals, or the Cardinals need wins just like anybody else. Set this one up for the viewers or the listeners, because in addition to everything else, this is also the NFL going to Mexico tonight for this one. Well, first of all, we will probably be seeing Colt McCoy for a second straight week for the Arizona Cardinals. That's bad news for the Cardinals. You mentioned a a coach who might be having a worse season than Nathaniel Hackett. Cliff Kingsbury has quietly been having a terrible season, but no one really notices what goes on out there in Arizona. So they're going down to Mexico City a little bit shorthanded with a backup quarterback that that doesn't provide all the things McCoy provides. This is a directionless organization that kind of wins by accident now and then. This is the kind of game the 49ers usually do a good job taking care of. They hand off. They throw short passes. They play tight defense. uh, They shut things down in front of them. And that's what I anticipate will happen tonight. A relatively easy win for the San Francisco 49ers. Mike, this was great, man. Thanks a lot for doing it. Enjoy the game tonight and all the games next weekend. We'll do this again on Monday. Oh, it's a pleasure. Take care. Enjoy your week. You too. Thanks. That's Mike Tannier, our Monday morning quarterback here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Uh, he is brought to us by the Clayton Public House. Pre-game to post-game, the Clayton Public House is your home of football. Catch all the action on 15 screens and two giant projectors. Visit them online at theclaytonpub.com. So the Canucks have won two in a row. They won their second straight 4-1 over the Kings Friday night at Rogers Arena. And I just want to emphasize again, how much fun Rogers Arena has become in the last couple of years. Uh, obviously, we had the pandemic for uh, a while that shut things down, but Rogers Arena last year during the Bruce bump was a lot of fun, and yep. going to games, the energy was was great. The energy this season, even though the Canucks are off to this terrible, disappointing start, the games where they've played well, and granted they're few and far between, Pittsburgh, L.A., the fans were amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just, there was a while there. And it felt like uh, maybe it was a 2011 hangover a little bit. During the Willie Desjardins years, uh, early parts of the Travis Green era, the games really weren't that fun. And I think we have to credit the Canucks. I think they've really upped their game presentation. Yeah. Um, I've heard many good things. Yeah, it's just, you know, it's it's fun to be there. Um you know, I, I, again, I was I was in the upper deck with the with the hardcore fans, mm-hmm. and it was just like it was fun. It felt like, you know, what it felt like. It what? felt like the place to be again, right? And in 2011, it was the place to be. In the years leading up to that, you know, people were paying big money to go to the games. It's not quite those levels yet, but it has been really fun, and I'm really looking forward to see if the Canucks can match the energy that they brought. That fueled the crowd on Friday tonight against Vegas. Um, Curtis Lazar, speaking of energy, man, he was good. Yeah, he's very good. On Friday night. Very good. He returns to the lineup. He didn't 
he wasn't named the one of the three stars because that went rightly to Brock Besser, Elias Pettersson, and Thatcher Demko. But Curtis Lazar, right from the start of things, was involved. He was hitting out there. Uh, that I guess was was that his first win with the Canucks? If, I think it was. I think I think it's the, the first time that he experienced a win as a Vancouver Canucks since signing with the team. Uh, the Canucks were his favorite team growing up. He's from BC, um, salmon arm guy. Uh, and he's just like, he brings an enthusiasm to the lineup that the Canucks really desperately needed. He's also a pretty good player. He's a good penalty killer. And the Canucks were missing him on the PK. Previously, Curtis Lazar had appeared in seven games to the Vancouver Canucks before getting hurt. All seven were losses. Two of them happened in overtime, but you know. Seven losses is seven. Over seven is over seven. Yeah, it's going to be interesting because if you look at the schedule, December is where the NHL schedule makers gave the Canucks a little bit of home cooking and kind of repaid them for that awful start to the year where they had to go and start with five games on the road. The month of December, and it really starts November 29th against Washington. I think the Canucks only play four road games the entire month of December. Like, it is very much a home-favorable schedule. So what needs to happen, and what I kind of see happening, I mean, this was why I, I predicted there might be a coaching change closer to when this happens. Yeah. Because that's where they're going to – if they're going to go on a run, you can look at the quality of opponents that are coming into Rogers Arena, the schedule, how many teams are coming in either in the midst of that Western swing or at the end of that Western swing. Also, if Demko gets his game back on track, and maybe we saw it trending in that direction on Friday against L.A., that's where the Canucks really have the opportunity to go on another one of those runs like they did last year. And quite frankly, like everyone is expecting them to. Mm-hmm. No one, I don't think, I mean, unless you're the eternal pessimist, thinks that they're going to be a 70-point team this year. No, there's too much talent in the lineup, and if Thatcher Demko's goes on, he can steal them games. The issue, as is been the case last year and we're going to harp on it again and again is this team dug itself a massive hole which they are still in I will remind you and those lessons should not be lost and we should not be uh, distracted by the shiny bauble of a seven or eight game win streak because the reality is that's just going to claw them back to where they should have been Mm -hmm. especially with the looming specter of last year's awful start you can't, and the one before. You can't continue to make the same mistakes over and over and over again and have a media and fan base say, ah, you know what, tack on a few wins in in March and April against teams that are maybe taking you lightly mm-hmm. and then get to within four points of a playoff spot. It, this is It's a tough league. It's way too tough to do that. Well, I, I don't want to hear, let's say it plays out like you're suggesting it might, and the Canucks play like they did last season and get the same results and then maybe they they barely miss the playoffs. I don't want to hear. Yeah, but if they'd started well. Yeah, but they didn't. I mean, the form, and that was yeah. their focus going into the season. Start well, don't don't do what you did. Don't do what Donnie don't there it does. Is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> see I was I was thinking that. I was like they'll probably fill this in for me. Uh, but uh, but they could have made this less confusing. Listen, before we uh before we talk about this this win streak that the Canucks are are about to go well, on or could go on. Let's be mindful of the opponents in their next three games. They got to get Vegas Golden Knights tonight. Then they go out on the road to play Colorado, Vegas, and they finish off with San Jose. But here's the challenge about that San Jose game. It's the second of a back-to-back after they'd played Saturday night 
in Vegas. This is this is a really tough stretch for the Canucks mm-hmm. coming up, and I'm sick of saying this, like, but I guess it's it's applicable. We're going to learn a lot about this team over the next few games. <laughs> there are some people out there, and I would include myself in that. So like, I've learned enough about this team, and I think big changes need to happen. But hey, prove me wrong, kids. Prove me wrong. Well, you know, I'm I've just also looking said at that about wrong, kids. Prove me wrong. How many times? How many times have we played that clip, and the Canucks have not proved to anyone wrong? 50, 60 times. <laughs> so many times that we. That's why we made it a hockey. It's yeah, like, we should probably make this a hockey. You keep hoping. Yeah. You keep hoping. Um, look, part of our jobs here, which we don't do especially well, like the fact that I took the Vikings as my lock of the week, is to do things in a predictory nature and try and figure out where trends are going to go, where teams are going to go, storylines, narratives, etc. I've been looking at this early late November early December set of games for the Canucks and kind of been circling it for a month or so is that's when it'll happen that's when they'll start getting some results going their way now the biggest question mark about all of it was Thatcher Demko because the one thing I couldn't correlate was uh going on a a Bruce there it is bump like last season and Obviously, that was carried by Demko, a lot of that, right? I mean, how many times did Boudreaux come off the ice and he's hearing Bruce there at his chance and the first thing he said was, like, our goalie was our best player tonight. Yeah. Or, our goalie was fantastic tonight. So it was hard to kind of gauge when that bump was going to happen this year because Demko had been so average mm-hmm. and, quite frankly, subpar in a lot of his performances. you got to remember, we're this deep into the season. That's the first time Thatcher Demko has held a team to one goal this year. We're not even talking about getting a shutout. That's like that's so far removed from the equation right now. But it was a game against LA where he silenced the opponent and only let one get past him. And to be honest, it probably should have been more because mm-hmm. LA, especially when they made their push in the third period, I mean, they, they found the crossbar and they found the post, right? Yep. Flip side of that argument, Demko's starting to get some bounces go his way and some breaks go his way. So I'll be really curious to see if they survive this week where they go Vegas, Colorado, Vegas. And maybe they can get the business done in that last second half of the back-to-back in San Jose. Really curious to see how the team does after that. I wonder when or if the separation in the standings will occur. Because right now, there's really not much. If you look at the wild card standings, is it like... Uh, so I think the wild, the second wild card team is St. Louis. They're, I'm just doing this from memory here. They're 9 8 no. So they've got 18 points. The Canucks have 15 points. So the Canucks are only three games back of the wild card. Calgary, Nashville, and Minnesota also have 18 points. And those three teams were all expected to do better this season. Yeah, Calgary yeah. is Calgary does not look great. Nashville's got a minus 10 goal differential. Minnesota, I think they got a big win the other night. I want to say they beat Carolina. I'm pretty happy about that. Mm-hmm. Um, they should be better. Yep. I, I'll be very curious to see um, when other teams have to pull up their socks as well, how this will shake out for mm-hmm. the Canucks, right? Because right now, they're in a group of four that you mentioned, Calgary, Nashville, Minnesota, Vancouver. I think it's fair to group those as the underachievers of the West right now. Oh, yeah. You know? I for mean, sure. all the teams below them, Chicago, San Jose, Arizona, Anaheim, were designed to be bad, mm-hmm. and they're bad. Their story checks out. Um, the biggest surprise in the West right now is Seattle, for sure. 
right? I don't yep. think oh, anyone yeah. expected that. Seattle and Winnipeg overall. Well, the, that that central division, I think some people would have made the case that Dallas and Winnipeg would be in the mix. I don't think anyone expected Dallas to be as good as they are, and Winnipeg's got the third spot, so they're surprises as well. But no one as surprising as Seattle. That being said, I think Dallas and Winnipeg are good teams. Mm-hmm. I don't know about Seattle yet. Like I I, Seattle, Seattle could I be a team that falls back to earth. Yeah, I don't think they're going to fall back hard, though. I think overall, I, I, I suppose there's a question mark if they if they're goaltending. Like how much the goaltending longer... already isn't that good, though. I, yeah, but that's you know? the thing is how much longer can you live with Martin Jones being Martin? Well, the jo- fact that they're winning games without those guys being great. I guess the question is: is it is sustain- impressive? Is isn't it, it? Is it sustainable over the long term? Couldn't they, in theory, get better? Maybe, but I don't know if their goaltending does get that much better whenever Grubauer and everyone else comes back. I think they, I, you know, I just don't know about them, right? But the, even yeah, okay, let's work this out. I know we're up against it for time, but let's say hypothetically Seattle falls out of the picture, okay? Then you've still got Calgary, Nashville, Minnesota, Vancouver all vying for that one spot that's opened up because I, I think Dallas, Colorado, Winnipeg, Vegas, Edmonton, St. Louis. LA, they're all here to stay. Like they're going to be in those spots for the playoffs, I think. Uh, watching LA play, I'm not I think I give them a good chance of making the playoffs, but definitely not a guarantee. I mean, yeah, but just like LA was a playoff team last year. Yeah. They're a good team. I mean, I thought that they probably deserved more than one goal against the Canucks on Friday. They kind of got goalied and posted and crossbarred a little bit, but it's good. I'm just saying, as we look down the road for this this task that the Canucks are going to have to try and accomplish and the hurdles that they're going to have to overcome. There's a lot of them. There's a lot of them in the West. That's just the way that the conference is shaken out this year is there's some other uh, disappointing teams right now. And you're going to, you're going to assume that they're all going to try and have that push either leading into American Thanksgiving or right in the aftermath. Uh, Coming up on the Halford and Bruff show on Sportsnet 650 back to the world cup. We go, it is a final now from Qatar. The second match of the 2022 world cup is in the books, a resounding six, one victory. Sorry, was it 6-2? Did they score the penalty late? I'm still trying to get caught up on everything. I was in in Canucks talk there. Bottom line, England defeats Iran handily at the 2022 World Cup in Qatar to open up their campaign. That was after Ecuador dispatched of Qatar in the opener yesterday. James Sharman from the Footy Prime podcast and Sportsnet is going to be joining us next. We'll look back on that England game that just finished. We will look ahead to everything that's happening today. And then, of course, look ahead to Wednesday Canada will play in the World Cup for the first time in 36 years on Wednesday against Belgium at 11 a.m. We'll also tell you more about the watch party we're doing and then another watch party that's opened up on Friday for a very big game between England and the U.S. That's an 11 a.m. kickoff. All this is coming up next, so your job as a listener, don't go anywhere. It's the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. And that was their focus going into the season. Start well, don't don't do what you did. Don't do what Donnie Don't there does. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. See, I was, I was thinking that. I was like, they'll probably fill this in for me. Don't do what Donnie Don't does. They could have made this clear. Time now for Sportsnet 650 traffic from the City News 1130 Air Patrol. Monday. Happy Monday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. 
Hal from Bruff of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. We are also brought to you by North Star Metal Recycling. Vancouver's premier metal recycler pays the highest prices on scrap metal. North Star Metal Recycling, they recycle, you get paid. Time now for a soccer report brought to you by CertainTeed, the pro's choice for roofing, siding, drywall, insulation, and ceiling systems. CertainTeed, pro all the way. This soccer report as evident by the music that we were playing coming back from break. Yeah, this is great. This is like the last night of the proms here. Does anyone know what that is? It's, it's like a big British patriotic concert that they have. The reason that we are doing all of this is because England emerged 6-2 victors in their World Cup opener. It finished just a few moments ago, 6-2 over Iran. Uh, Jude Bellingham, Bukayo Saka with a pair, Raheem Sterling, Marcus Rashford. Uh, even Jack Grealish got in on the action at the end, scoring the sixth. Uh, it was a very difficult match for Iran, who lost their starting netminder uh, to an injury in, in, in addition to conceding six times in their World Cup opener from Qatar. So joining us now to break it all down and, of course, look forward to Canada's game on Wednesday against Belgium. Uh, he is the head of soccer content for the Parlay. He is also a member of the Footy Prime podcast. He is James Sharman here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Good morning, James. How are you? Good morning. Yeah, good, thanks. By the way, last night the problems is, is classic. It's, it's great. Basically, you, you get dressed up, you get mm-hmm. drunk, and listen to music. Yeah, the English love nights like that. <laughs> That's <laughs> kind of what they do. Uh, so, James, um, obviously a lot to discuss, but I want to start with just the the talk about the World Cup in general. What are your thoughts about having this World Cup in Qatar, and what are your thoughts about some of the things that uh, the FIFA president said over the weekend when he really engaged in quite a bit of, uh, a bit of whataboutery? Yeah, I mean, listen, there, there's clearly a dark cloud over this World Cup, a World Cup that shouldn't have happened. It shouldn't be in November, December. It shouldn't be in Qatar. It was bought uh, 12 years ago. Um, and, you know, that's before we, we really learned about all the the human rights issues uh, in that country as well. And then for FIFA, just to brush that aside and say it's time now to focus on the football and for Gianni Infantino, the, the FIFA president, to come out in that, that one-hour monologue over the weekend to say everything's great, we are FIFA, you know, we will do what we can to help the world. Um, he, he said, I am this, I am that, I am gay, I am this. You know, basically essentially saying we are one and then this morning we find out FIFA banned captains from wearing the One Love armband because it goes against FIFA mandates. So it's just complete hypocrisy. Um, yeah, listen, it's going to be a great tournament for football. I believe that, wide open. But let's not kid ourselves. I think it's important that we acknowledge and that we, uh, we remind ourselves of the problems uh, throughout this tournament. It feels like we've been through this a lot with World Cups or Olympics, you know, anytime these games go to countries where we have diplomatic strains or we have disagreements about the way they live. Um, There is a lot of conversation heading into the games and athletes are asked, you know, are you, are you going to speak out against this? I mean, I'm reminded of the, the, the China Olympics and just all of them basically. Now, in most of these cases, that talk goes away as the tournament or the Olympics goes on and people get into the sports. Do you think that will happen in Qatar, or do you think this time it could be a little bit different? I mean, I hope it is. I hope the media certainly keep it alive, that conversation. I do feel bad for the athletes in these situations because they're just doing their jobs. 
right? They don't decide where World Cups are being held or Olympics are being held. So I, I get that. And what do we really want them to say? Um, if they want to use that platform, then, then that's great. But I don't expect it of them. Um, but for this World Cup, I think it's going to be a theme throughout it, absolutely. Uh, the, the, the news this morning about the armband. So the rule was essentially um, if, if a captain wears a one-love captain's armband, they'll get a yellow card, which is a big deal in a tournament where you can be banned with yellow card um, accumulations. Mm-hmm. Um, so, it, I mean, it would be great for a player or a team to say, you know what, we're doing it anyway. And what what you know iconic you know vision that would be to see a player getting yellow card for wearing that. Um, but, you know, let's be honest, let's not get ourselves. As it continues, as much as the voices will be heard somewhat, the, I think they will be somewhat silenced by the football and by the events and the theatre on the pitch. That's just what happens in big tournaments, right? But let's let's keep talking about it. Let's keep mentioning it. And uh, you know, I, I'm not sure what change comes from this. I really don't. You know, we fast forward a month from now, two months from now, is Qatar any different to, to what it was before? You know, time will tell, I guess. But I'm I'm, I'm cynical that that will be the case. Well, let's focus on the football now. Uh, Canada plays. Belgium on Wednesday, Canada's first World Cup game since 1986. Let's score a goal this time. Uh, but Canada's got some injury concerns, or do they? Do you believe these are legit injury concerns to some of Canada's key players, or is this John Herdman playing a bit of mind games? I mean, I wouldn't put it past John Herdman, obviously. I mean, listen, Alfonso Davies clearly had a hamstring injury. He missed the last two games at Bayern Munich. He stayed with Bayern Munich until uh, after the last match against Japan for Canada. So he's clearly dealing with something, but it sounds like it's just a niggle. It's not a serious injury. Um, Stefan Estacchio is one that we didn't expect to be you know, injured. He's missed some sessions, but he's out there again now, apparently. Uh, Milan Boyan was, was rumored to be uh, suffering from something or other. So, I mean, I'm sure John Herman will, will use it to his advantage. But am I concerned? I mean, not particularly. Every team's going through stuff right now. The trouble is that the players being mentioned with Canada are the most important players. And, and you could argue that Milan Boyan, Alfonso Davies, and Stefan Estacchio are the three most important players for Canada. So um, it is what it is. It's football. We'll find out, I guess, on Wednesday and the starting 11. But right now, I, I would expect to see everyone healthy for it. Yeah, me as well. And I know Alfonso said yesterday that, like, unequivocally, I, I can start. I'm ready to start. I'm healthy enough to start. So I assume that he'll be in against Belgium. You know, it's it's funny, James, because I think a lot of people, I don't want to say naively, but perhaps overly optimistically, saw the run that Canada went on to qualify, saw the group emerge, and then saw Belgium and thought, what a great opportunity for the David versus Goliath thing where this small country <laughs> that hasn't been there in 36 years gets to topple one of the giants of global football. Then the reality sets in, and you watch the Premier League and all the other big five European leagues week to week, and you see all these Belgian players starring, including Kevin De Bruyne, who must be uh, considered one of the best midfielders on the planet. I guess the question is, what should realistic, really realistic expectations be for Canada in this match against Belgium? Yeah, you know what, guys? I've noticed that a lot of people are kind of downplaying Belgium and Croatia, saying, well, they have their issues. They're not complete teams. Their golden generations are aging now. Um I think it's dangerous. They're still really, really good teams. Yes. So much deeper. And let's be honest, better than Canada in most positions. Not every position. I mean, listen, Alfonso Davis fits into both those teams quite easily. Um, my, my expectations are just simply that Canada won't be embarrassed. I, I'm pretty confident they're going to score a goal. Um, it, it's a tough group, but it's also one of those groups where, you know, this could be that group where something strange happens. Um, every World Cup, one or two groups surprise us. Um, a big team doesn't do well. A list team does well. Canada has that potential, 
But if I'm being realistic, you know, I don't expect Canada to get out of that group. Right. Um, but at the same time, I, I don't think they'll embarrass themselves. But far from it, I think they'll come out with a head held high. Uh, the not having Romelu Lukaku available for the first two matches for Belgium. Some have said it's a pretty significant deal given the amount that he scored uh, on the international stage and given his presence and his physicality and also what's behind him in attack. Others have said it's not really that big of an issue. Belgium's so loaded and so deep that losing one striker isn't going to cost him. Where do you fall on that argument with regards to Lukaku's presence? Well, I mean, let's let's, let's kid ourselves. If, if he was healthy, one hundred percent, and you know he wasn't available for whatever reason, we'd be really happy because he's a world class striker. He's one of the best strikers in world football. He, he's tough. He's physical. He can play off the last shoulder. He's quick. You know, he's, he's really the complete package. So obviously, you no know Lukaku is a good thing. But if, if you put in, you know, uh, Michi Batshuayi in his place, he's pretty good as well. He's unselfish. Um, you know, I know Chelsea fans out there might remember him when he played there. He didn't do great, didn't work out for him, but he's a very good player. He's a class player. Um, he'd make Canada starting 11, put it that way. Yes. Uh, I would imagine, anyway. Um, so, so, you know, it's, it's not a bad thing that Lukaku's missing, but listen, that's killer sales. Belgium's a strong team. Um, maybe you see uh, Leandro Trossard get in there. He's a fantastic player in the Premier League for Brighton. Really fun to watch. He's dangerous, but it's that midfield. That's the, uh, the important thing. You mentioned Kevin De Bruyne before. You know, I think he's probably the best midfielder in world football right now. Mm-hmm. He can dictate a match and dominate him by himself. So, um, with or without Lukaku, this is formidable. So, yeah, sure, it's great. You know, not, it's one less world-class player that Canada's facing, but there's others to fill in there. I mean, it's, it's almost comical when you break it down position by position because you're like, well, maybe Canada can find something on the counter or maybe they can expose the back line. In order to score, they're going to need to beat Thibaut Courtois, who might be the best goaltender or informed goaltender on the planet. Some were making that conversation when he starred with Real and took them to Champions League glory over Liverpool. So it just kind of underscores how much depth they have and how many different positions and how difficult it's going to be to break them down block by block by block if you're Canada. Because, um, you know, Canada has some great attacking options for sure. But as we saw, especially in the game against Japan, uh, it can be those little moments where you're either caught napping or you make a bad read or the ball floats over your head. The quality countries and the quality players find an opportunity and pounce on those. Or in the case of mm-hmm. someone like Courtois, has an opportunity to make a difference and will go out and make a save maybe he's not expected to make. And, and that's the important part. You, you, know, you make a good point that what separates the, the, the really great teams from the rest are those moments where the top players take advantage of half a chance. And that's what I think Canada might, it might be surprised by. Outside of you know, less than a handful of players, most of these guys haven't played this level before. Um, like, never. I mean, there's obviously Alfonso Davis, uh, Tajan Buchanan, John David, they've played Champions League football, Milan Boyan. That's probably a better quality football than the World Cup. But still, Belgium's a different beast entirely. The other guys, this is brand new. This is uncharted territory for them, right? So that would be the big, big difference maker. And, you know, I, I'm not concerned about Canada's attack. I think they will be dangerous on the break. We, we know that. My, my concern is still at the back. It's the defense. It's players that, you know, I think will evolve into being really, really good players in, in some pretty good European leagues. But right now, you know, a lot of them are playing in MLS, which is, listen, a really good league. Don't get me wrong. But it's not the same as playing in, in England, in the Premier League, or in La Liga, Bundesliga, or the Serie A. And they'll be playing against strikers and midfielders who are the best in their position in the best leagues in the world. So that's my concern at the back for Canada. Um, going forward, yeah, they'll be scary. And listen, Belgium will be hoping and praying that Alphonse Davis isn't 100% because their, their mindset will be very, very different. But when they look at Canada's uh, defense um, from the goal out, really, 
You look at Stephen Pretoria, you know, a really great warrior for Canada, a good player, but he's not that mobile. And then you've got Alistair Johnston and Camille Miller, who are going to be, like I said, they'll get moves to big clubs at some point in their careers. I, I'm sure of it. But right now, they're unproven at, at this stage. So uh, that's, that's where I think the concern lies for this Canadian team. England uh, defeated Iran 6-2 to earlier this morning, or, well, this morning our time. Um, so it's good, obviously, that their attack looked good. Six goals <laughs> against Iran, but it's funny that Gareth Southgate afterwards was like, yeah, I'm, I'm happy we got the win, it's a good result, but I don't like the fact that we conceded two goals. The concern heading into this World Cup for England, like Canada, was on the back line, and so... I ask you, should England supporters be encouraged or a little bit worried by this performance today? Yeah, I mean, listen, you know England supporters, right? Gareth Southgate has to keep the feet on the ground after that performance, right? Yeah. He cannot come out and say, well, we were great because, you know, the hype machine will go into overdrive. Um, that was a really, really great performance from England. Um, defensively, the first hour, they were outstanding, the defense. And then they, I guess, got caught flat foot a couple of times. And then at the end, the penalty that was awarded, I mean, it was it was a tug of a shirt in the box. I mean, to me, it wasn't a penalty. Um, but Southgate has to mention it. Obviously, England are brilliant. Uh, Jude Bellingham, the 19-year-old in midfield, he's going to be one of the best midfielders in world football, if not already. He's just outstanding. And he's going to captain that team one day as well. He just pulled the strings. He was brilliant. Baka Yusaka, if you remember back at Euro, um, he was the, the, the kid at 18 years of age, missed, missed a penalty that set England out and received all that awful deluge of racial abuse on social media, he responded with two goals today. England looked great. They really did. They're in a group that they should win. They've got the States up next thing on Friday. Um, so that's a wonderful start for them. Uh, in, in a game that could have been that, that you know, banana skin, England have got a history of playing teams like Iran in the group phase and struggling to break them down. Um, but not today. They were, they were very, very good. But yeah, Gareth Southgate, like I said, he's, he's got to control his emotions and, and just say, yep, it was okay, but we'll build on it. Uh, the Americans will take on Wales later on today. What do you think about this American team? Because I was reading that they're the second youngest team at this tournament, and I suppose while their focus is on this tournament, their long-term focus is very much on the next World Cup, which is going to be hosted largely by the United States, but also Canada and Mexico. Yeah, absolutely. They're, they're an exciting team. They're, they're, like you mentioned, such a young team who weren't great in qualifying. We saw Canada you know, outplay them in two matches. Um, but they're, they're a team that's you know, under a manager in Greg Berhalter, who's under a lot of pressure right now to get this team you know, gelling on the same page. But it is really, like I said, about the next four years and that World Cup. Now, can they beat Wales today? Absolutely. You know, they're, they're good enough. In fact, I would say they've got more talent than this Wales team. Um, but so far, they haven't really um, come through and got it all together for 90 minutes despite the individual talent, who are playing across you know, the biggest leagues in Europe these days. It used to be that yeah, ML, um, the U.S. team will still have most of its players playing in, in MLS. Now that's kind of changing bit by bit. There's still a large component, but most of them are playing in big leagues uh, across Europe. And you're going to see this team really emerge by 2026, I think. But is, is this World Cup too soon? Probably, yeah. But at the same time, getting out of this group is very, very possible. James, great stuff today, man. Thanks a lot for doing this. We appreciate it. Uh, enjoy the rest of the games today and throughout the week. We'll do this again real soon. Look forward to it, fellas. Cheers.
Thank you. That's James Sharman, the head of soccer content for the Parlay, and of course, a member of the Footy Prime podcast. Uh, you are listening to the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. That was the soccer report brought to you by CertainTeed, the pro's choice for roofing, siding, drywall, insulation, and ceiling systems. CertainTeed Pro all the way. Uh, a quick reset here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Eight o'clock hour. Uh, we're going to do what we learns at 8.30, and that's a big one because it's what did you learn over the last 72 hours in sports. Uh, we're also going to talk to Ian McIntyre, IMAC from Sportsnet, Canucks reporter, as we look back at the Friday night victory over the Los Angeles Kings. We also look ahead to tonight's game. Reminder, 7.30 puck drop. Uh, it is the Vegas Golden Knights in Vancouver uh, to take on the Canucks. Uh, I also want to mention that right now we are going to – do the Wednesday show, not our show, but a one-hour Canada-Belgium pre-match show. It's going to air across the Sportsnet networks. Uh, we're going to do it live from the Hollywood Theater in Kitsilano ahead of the 11 o'clock kickoff between Canada and Belgium. On Friday this week, we're going to get our weekend started a little early. After the show, we're going to go back to the Hollywood Theater for one of the bigger matches of the group stage. Mm-hmm. USA, England, 11 a.m., also at the Hollywood Theater. If you want tickets, they just got released to the general public a few days ago. You can go to the Hollywood Theater website. You can go to the um, the sh- Show Pass is the name of the ticket provider and check it out. It's going to be England House, England, USA, 11 o'clock on Friday. We will be in attendance, correct? We're going to get our weekend started oh, yeah. a little early. That should be a really interesting game, especially given whatever happens between uh, the U.S. and Wales today at 11 o'clock. This would be a good week to uh, fake sick from work. There's a lot of opportunities. On Wednesday, you've got Canada-Belgium yep. at 11 a.m. Thursday, you've got American Thanksgiving, so there's football on all day. And then Friday, you've got the Dutch are playing uh, Ecuador in the early game at 8 a.m. Uh, and then the English take on the Americans, which I just think is going to be a fun game. You know, like there's going to be plenty of rivalry just between the English and the Americans, and the Americans will see this mm-hmm. as an opportunity for a lot of those young players to really stake their claim. Yeah. Um, speaking of the Dutch, they are just about to kick off right now against Senegal. Another thing, and I, I was trying to keep an eye on this as they did the pano from the camera around the stadium. Um, Chris Jones, who is in Qatar for CBC pointed this out that there's the the rumbling in and around the tournament right now is that for a lot of the non-marquee opening round matches and all apologies to us Canadians but Canada Belgium is considered one of those non-marquee matchups right because of Canada yeah uh apparently the ticket sales are rather sluggish mm-hmm. I don't know how much you watched of the Ecuador Qatar match on Sunday yeah I saw a lot of empty seats 67,000 like the Grey Cup right 67,000 in attendance to start and I'm air quoting that you can see me on mm-hmm. the camera where are my fingers? A lot of them left early, I think. A lot of them left at half because yeah. it was such a one-sided affair. So I don't know what this is going to look like from a fan perspective. Look, That's so weak, though. Like, you're hosting the World Cup. I feel like it might be that some of those people were there just to be seen, and they didn't really yep. care about the football. Yeah, I mean, look, Qatar does not have a rich footballing history. Do you think if Canada hosted the World Cup, and we're going to, yeah. And Canada was down 2-0 at the half. Do you think everyone would just be like, all right, I've seen no, no, it would be, Of course not. But we're talking, I mean, again, you're talking about a nation of, I think it's 2.9 million. It's incredibly small. It does not have a footballing history. This national team was propped up 
and elevated to, I know we've mentioned this before, but I'll mention it again, 50th in the world FIFA rankings, which is almost comical because they have no results internationally aside from a few friendlies to speak of. We saw it play out in the opener. It wasn't that they were just bad. It was that they were thoroughly outclassed. Now, that Ecuadorian team is a lot better than I think people understood. They finished right. fourth in South America. They they tied Argentina for most goals and qualifying. Anytime you can qualify out of South America, you're probably decent. So, yeah, so it was a tough go for Qatar, but, it, you know. But Ecuador barely played in the second half. Yeah, they just kept the ball away They're and like, just kind of right. did what they wanted to. I mean, the, 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 the most obvious comparison would have been um, what they wanted to do, what Qatar wanted to do is what South Africa wanted to do in 2010 when they got that very historic result in their first match, mm-hmm. right? This just wasn't it, and it kind of set a... It was already going to be weird to see how the narrative was going to be crafted with regards to Qatar. And another thing that I saw, too, and now I'm really going off on a tangent, but if Qatar gets eliminated in the group stage, which many expect, how do they become as hosts once they're no longer participating in it? That's a good point, You know, that's something that has to bear mention as we move along, because right now... They're going to be focused on their 2030 Olympics bid. Yeah. (laughs) Winter Olympics, too, which is weird. It's going to be tough to pull off, but God bless us. We got a snow machine. Okay, uh, lots more to get to, 8 o'clock hour. There's tons on the horizon. This is your home of the Canucks. We'll do some Canucks talk with Ian McIntyre coming up next, and then what we learn at 8.30. You are listening to the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650.